Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. We talk about the evolution of the human species and how difficult it is to piece together that journey. Now you would have heard of Neanderthals, maybe Denosovians. We talk a bit about the journey of human history, from Homo habilis to Homo sapiens, and how what we met along the way, like Neanderthals, may have helped shape us and create the species that we know, and how they may be more similar than you might think. This week we look at the journey of human history. If you've ever solved a puzzle, one of the things that you might try and do is sort pieces into different shapes maybe different colours. Other times you try and say, okay, well, I'll align myself along an edge. And more often than not, you'll take a glance at the picture, either on the cover of the box or by knowing what this is supposed to be. And you use that along with other information and context you gather to help understand your goal and work away through the puzzle pieces, sorting them, allocating them, piecing them together until you've completed the picture. Now, in this case, with a puzzle, it's pretty easy because you maybe know how many pieces, though you're probably not going to count them. You do know roughly what you're aiming for in terms of a shape, and most puzzles that people do actually contain an edge or a barrier. So once you find those edge pieces and corners, you can work your way into the inside. All of these things help define scope, give you clear boundaries and guidance on how to put this thing together. You also get contextual color clues. The problem is, if you don't know how many pieces you have, if you don't know that end goal or shape, it's really easy to then miss things. You might assemble stuff together, puzzle pieces, into a shape that you think is right, but without any guide to tell you actually that's not the right combination of colours for that region. Or yes, those pieces go together, but not in the way you've arranged them. They're upside down, or maybe they need to be turned over. This is the challenge that faces scientists when trying to deal with fossil records. A fossil record is, after all, only an incomplete picture of what has happened in the past. So to make our way through history by only analysing some samples that we see, well, it's incredibly difficult. Because we don't know if what we're looking at is a one-off, an unusual variant, or representative of a whole species. Imagine taking someone randomly distributed across the earth right now and comparing it to yourself. They would probably live a very different life to you. They might look very different to you. Now, if a scientist was trying to analyse the fossil record and compare your two lives and how you look like, they may not even think you're the same species, and yet you're living contemporaneously, perhaps in different parts of the world. Though even in the same city, you can see the same differences. Now, this is the challenge that scientists face in particular when trying to analyse humanoid development. Now, we know that humans are related to lots of other creatures in the hominid family. We can look from a genealogical perspective that we diverged from bonobos, chimpanzees, gorillas, and at some point millions of years ago, we formed our own species. And this is clear enough by using the markers that we can use to define differences in species. And then these ancestor hominids branched off from the other monkeys, grew larger brains, were more upright in their position, and this led to the development of different species further and further down this tree, till we reach today. 
But the thing is, we weren't the only creatures doing this evolutionary journey. And in fact, over the years, there were many other ancestor hominids, but also contemporaneous species. The most common that you would have heard of to the Homo sapiens, after our common ancestor Homo erectus. So basically the journey goes Homo habilis, then Homo erectus, and then a lot of different branches. We end up with the Homo sapiens branch, is the one we are part of. But there were other contemporaneous branches, like the Neanderthals or the Denosivians. It's even the case like the Homo floresiensis. Now, Homo floresiensis is often being called the hobbit humans or the dwarf humans, mostly because when they were discovered, we know that roughly date between 190,000 years ago to 50,000 years before present. But they're quite small. The problem is we're not sure if that small height is from things like species variation, or but they might be from the same genus of Homo, but they have some island dwarfisms that's developed for their location. A lot of this gets flown around by a particular fossil specimen that was discovered in 2003, often called Flores Man or the Hobbit. And this is a small archaic humanoid, human um, of a variant type, from the island of Flores in Indonesia. Now, the fossil specimen discovered in 2003 was thought originally to be only around 12,000 years old. Analyzing that fossil and looking at the other data we have around it, the stratigraphical and chronological work, placed it maybe more like 50,000 years ago. But by comparison, it's still quite contemporaneous to Homo sapiens. Problem is we don't have many fossils for Homo floresiensis. We're not entirely sure if this specific branch is not actually a variation in species, but one more of, but just a variant of Homo sapiens actually having some island dwarfism or insular dwarfism as part of their basically getting smaller on a constrained environment like an island, which we see in lots of species of animals as well. So it's possible that that's the case. And the dating of this fossil is so difficult because dating an individual fossil can be at times tricky. So the date ranges, as you saw, were pretty wide. It's important to keep all of this in mind because the journey of human evolution isn't some neat linear journey. We're doing our best to try and categorize and understand it. And we know through fossil records of the journey of different species of humans. We know there were clearly Homo sapiens that came through, but there are other hominids like around us, like the Neanderthals or the Denovians, and there was an interaction between these species. It needs to be kept in mind that there was some overlap, and this overlap is not long ago. We're talking about periods of time. In the case of Flores, even 50,000 years ago, is inside the recorded history range of the Indigenous Australian First Nations people, who have been in Australia for 70 to 80,000 years as part of that massive wave of migration. And they got to Australia by coming through Indonesia, the so-called Austronesian peoples. Now, this migration wave would have obviously interacted with this other species if it was in the area. This shows the difficulty of trying to understand, categorize, and put together puzzle pieces of humanoid history and development. Now today we're going to talk about a couple of examples of new fossils being discovered and helping understand what we might otherwise think of as very different subspecies of human and how they may have more in common with us than you might think.
Now, when you think of other species of hominids, the one that comes to mind is, of course, Neanderthal or Neanderthal. Neanderthal is the commonly accepted pronunciation in the modern era. And first discovered in 1850s, scientists have often thought of this species that was dated from around 400,000 years ago to around 40,000 years ago, maybe a bit later, in Europe and southwest Central Asia, as being one of lower order than humans, Homo sapiens, mostly because of their smaller brain size, their thicker brow, their more what is often described as animalistic looking features. They looked rougher, tougher, and if you're picturing one in your head right now, you'll think of some dim-witted, slow, lumbering creature. And that isn't necessarily a good representation of Neanderthals. After all, they existed for thousands of years and co-mingled and coexisted with humans for a very long time. Now, their species did go extinct, but in what way it merged in some aspects into the Homo sapiens, which was became the dominant species, is an interesting tale to tell. And to understand more about Neanderthals and how they differ from humans, there's plenty of good things I'd encourage you to dig into. Of course, there's a great long-form podcast produced by the New York Times The Daily called Neanderthals with People Too. This is written and produced by John William and a team at the New York Times. Great podcast, but we're going to talk about something slightly different. Something that reinforces this idea that Neanderthals are very similar to Homo sapiens, very similar and recognizable to us. The fact that they could produce artwork just like we do. And in fact, if you look at periods from 50,000 years ago, you'll find them producing art that would be recognizable to people from Homo sapiens at the time and also recognizable to us today. What we're going to talk about today is, in fact, the investigation of Unicorn Cave. Now, okay, that sounds pretty cool, but Einhornhule in the Harz Mountains in Lower Saxony is one of the regions where Neanderthal fossils were first discovered. And researchers from a large range of collaborating universities and fossil societies have been investigating this. And they published a paper in the journal Nature Ecology and Evolution. Lead author Dirk Lieder, Raphael Hermann, Matthias Huls, and a large range of collaborators. Now, the reason why they're investigating this particular cave, Unicorn Cave, is that it is an area that has had lots and lots of excavations in it for finding Neanderthal fossils. Hearts Mountains, of course, a big area for actually finding all kinds of Neanderthal remains. So by digging in Unicorn Cave, they found some new layers that were incredibly well preserved. Now, we know that these are from the Neanderthal period and the cave area has been dated. Now, the remains and fossil artifacts that they discovered were found near the cave's ruined entrance. They found the normal things you'd expect to find in any species from that time's cave or inhabited area. Remains from a hunt, an inconspicuous food bone, all the trappings of habitation. But scattered amongst these bones and remains from the hunt, they saw an inconspicuous foot bone that, when analysed in detail back in the labs, they discovered that, hang on, this is something pretty sensational. After taking away layers of soil sticking to this bone, what they discovered were angular patterns of six notches. Now, these aren't marks that would have come from butchering. They were way more detailed and regular than that. These were marks that were clearly decorative. Now, once they put this bone into a 3D microscopy at the Department of Wood Biology and Products at Göttingen University, they could really get a detailed image of this carved 
bone. Now, what was interesting is how you preserve the carvings and etchings in this bone would have required really intricate work because otherwise this bone would have just degraded away. So in order to do this, the team actually tried to replicate the same thing. They took a foot bone from a cow from today and in order to be able to carve it with that fine level of detail, it would have had to be boiled first in water to carve the pattern into the softened bone surface, gently etching it into the surface of the bone without, of course, shattering it. And that would have required stone tools and taken around one and a half hours. Now, you have to boil this bone first, then spend time carving it. Now, of course, this bone came from a giant deer. And of course, if the Neanderthals have hunted and killed this impressive animal with huge antlers, well, it would have been one you'd want to remember and record the result of such a great hunt. And that's clearly what this shows. Now, we know that Neanderthals hunted, we know that Neanderthals inhabit the area, but we haven't really had examples of artwork produced by them, cultural artifacts of this species, mostly because it's often really hard to find. Now, we've seen from similar contemporaneous Homo sapiens all kinds of pendants and other carved creations. But we hadn't seen that any associated with Neanderthal remains. But this means that Neanderthals, like the Homo sapiens around them, were able to create patterns on bones just like their contemporaries and communicate using symbols. And this is important because this was happening in Europe thousands of years before the arrival of modern Homo sapiens to the region. Because after all, Neanderthals were there first in this region. So this shows that Neanderthals were able to produce objects of significance to them and their culture, which required planning and detailed intricate work. And these were all happening in Europe well before modern humans got there. So Neanderthals weren't dummies. They weren't somehow an inferior species that got wiped out by the smarter and better Homo sapiens. They had their own unique culture that they were contributing. We just need to know to look for. This is a great example of how even a simple fossil remain can change your image of what happened in the past. Great paper published in Nature, Ecology and Evolution. Lead author by Dirk Leder and a number of other collaborators. how hard it is to put together a puzzle not knowing how many pieces there are or what the picture looks like. But the next papers we're going to talk about are a discovery based out of researchers from Tel Aviv University and Hebrew University of Jerusalem that were investigating an early humanoid site at Nesha Ramla, dated from around 140 to 120,000 years ago. And what they've discovered there actually helps outline a new form of archaic Homo species a new kind of missing population that led to the journey of Homo sapiens, which we know and were in the region around 200,000 years ago. This discovery of a new subspecies, a new variant of, of this family, have been published in a series of papers in the journal Science, including a paper by Israel Hershkovitz and others, along with a second paper, lead author was Yossi Zaidna, and then a third paper by Marta Mirzon Lea. Now, these papers relate to the Nesha Ramla remains, which have been located inside Israel. 
And they're a form of archaic human believed to live during the Middle Pleistocene era in the, what is now modern-day Israel. Now, obviously, have they evidence of tool use and other sites during these excavations? Now, researchers can see that these Nesharamla humans share many features in common with Neanderthals. You can see that their teeth and their jaws are very much like what is found inside a Neanderthal. And they also have some similarities with the archaic Homo species, mostly around the shape of the skull. But at the same time, this type of Homo is very, very different from modern humans. The actual structure of the skull itself is very different. There's no type of chin and the teeth are incredibly large. This is really strange because it's very different to Homo sapiens. And we know that Homo sapiens came through this region on their way up to Europe and their consequential intermingling with the Neanderthals in that region. Now, by studying the remains in the Mishlaya cave, the researchers be trying to piece together what happened and how this species' features got mixed in with Homo sapiens as they came through this region. As these researchers, led by Dr. Zeidner, Hebrew University, were excavating remains in this site, they dug down through eight meters of ground and they found large quantities of animal bones, including horses, deer, aurochs, as well as stone tools and human bones mixed in. This is obviously pretty interesting and, and when they dated them, they were finding some pretty interesting results. But as they categorized all these skeletons, they identified a form, a morphology of the bones that belonged to a whole new type of Homo species. Previously, otherwise unknown to science, this is the first time type of homo to be identified and defined even in Israel, let alone many other places, and they categorized it as the Nesharamla homo type. That's a pretty cool discovery to make, but it also helps answer some questions. Now researchers have tried to categorize Neanderthals often as a European-only species, one that was really dominant in Europe but not really spread very much anywhere else. Now, how they explain some Neanderthal-like fossils that were found in the region. Well, they try to come up with theories about glaciers and others to help explain the migration southwards. This theory doesn't quite stack up because you can see some genetic evidence inside Neanderthals that would suggest some intermingling with Homo sapiens long before Homo sapiens actually intermingled properly with that population. So often it was theorized that there was some sort of missing population that mated with Homo sapiens 200,000 years ago and then also then crossed into the Neanderthal population. Now, the discovery of this species, this new Escheramla subspecies of Homo, well, that actually could be this crossover link, this bridge between them. And it also would help explain previous fossils, which were quite unusual, discovered in Tabun Cave, dated for 160,000 years ago, Zutayev Cave, Kwesim Cave, which are 250,000 and 400,000 years ago, which actually all match up with this same type of Nesharamla homotype. This would explain the differences that they've seen in the region. And whilst it means that Homo sapiens did interact with this species, this species also probably interacted with Neanderthals. So the picture isn't quite as neat as Neanderthals in Europe, human Homo sapiens came out of Africa and migrated into Europe and displaced them. There are actually other species in this region as well that were mixed into it. And these were probably occupying spaces in Central Asia and the Levant. 
Now, some of these Nesharamla types of hominids would have then migrated into Europe and then evolved into what we think is the refined European form of Neanderthals. But they may have been the precursor, these Nesharamla in Levant region, be the precursor to what would have become the isolated group inside Europe. This explains some of the genetic characteristics and how they developed all the way to be so divergent in the Neanderthals in Europe from the other species of Homo around them. This is a great study which helps change our conception of the journey between species by throwing a new fossil into the mix. A new puzzle piece is thrown in and all of a sudden the picture shifts. What we're trying to build changes. And the story of Neanderthals in Europe, again, changes. It's an example of how our understanding can shift by knowing slightly more about the context and pieces. So, are the Neanderthals in Europe developed on their own as separate species, or were they a sub-branch of another branch which migrated into the region first, this Nesharamla homo? Certainly possible. More evidence can be linked and studied from across the region now, which will help build this picture about a different type of species, Nesharamla homo, that would have been in the Levant region, and how their migration waves out of Africa and Central Asia into Europe could have led to the development of Neanderthals long before the arrival of Homo sapiens. A series of papers published in the journal Science with work from Tel Aviv University and Hebrew University in Jerusalem. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, Lagrange Point. From Homo habilis, Homo erectus to Homo sapiens, how Neanderthals and other species around us help shape human sapiens into what we know today and what we can learn by studying these other fossil records. Our ending theme was composed by Audio and Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.